Today's episode of the Sports Talk Garage podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing you with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get paid when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. Now, let's get the episode started. Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage podcast, where we discuss and debate the latest news and hot takes from the court in the ball fields to the locker room and front office. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those oversized contracts, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Welcome in to Season 2, Episode 46 of the Sports Talk Garage Podcast. I'm your host, David, joined by my two co-hosts, John and Matt. Guys, it feels good to be back in the studio with you this week, especially that nice cold air conditioning, because the last few days have been absolutely hot. I think it was like 103, 104 this past weekend, and I made the dumb decision to go mow my lawn outside. It's not the brightest idea I've ever had. So your grass is dead. So my grass is dead. It's brown, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> However, as we are back in the studio with that air conditioning, we're happy to have on another wonderful guest this week to continue in that one-on-one series we've been doing. Um, we're gonna, for all you out there, you're going to be able to learn more about his history, his work, something he's passionate about. Uh, this gentleman was inducted into the International Sports Hall of Fame in 2018. He has 10 Emmys to his name, his own podcast titled Bucket, Globetrotter, Philanthropist, and a host of a very successful TV show, uh, Phil Kogan. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and throw the green flag and get things going. Um, so you are from New Zealand, but you spent part of your childhood in Canada and Antigua. Uh, did that love of travel really start at such a young age, or did that kind of happen later on in life? Well, uh, I don't remember leaving New Zealand, but I did find the other day a photograph when I was of when I was three years old getting on my first plane, which is kind of a cool image to find. And my dad was carrying me out to a, a Boeing uh, 100. And I think it was, uh, gosh, 1971 as we headed off to, to, uh, to Guelph, Ontario in Canada. And I, I only, I only remember, I can't remember when I started traveling. I just know that I was, I've been doing it all my life and I love it. And my parents got this posting down in, in the Caribbean and on the Island of Antigua, as you mentioned. And then during that time, we traveled extensively throughout the Caribbean and into South America and back and forth to New Zealand. And that was all through the seventies and eighties. And so I just, I don't know. I mean, this is the longest during this COVID period is the longest that I have been in one spot since the end of February till now. It's the longest that I have ever been in one spot in my entire life. I, I've never wow. not, you know, I'm constantly moving. So, yes, it's in my blood. And I, I, I still now, every time I see a plane, I look up and I'm like, oh, am I meant to be on that plane? <laughs> 
<laughs> going somewhere. Did I miss my flight? <laughs> Man, definitely an adjustment period having to be stuck in one place for so long after a lifetime of just traveling, globe turning all over the earth. Yeah, now I understand what all the fuss is about with regards to sleep because I never, <laughs> I never really got it. Like people would be like, oh, I just had the most amazing sleep. And I'm like, I didn't never really got it. And I realized that I've been living my whole life kind of jet lagged and tired. And, and, and now I really get it. I understand it. And I think I've become, you know, people say, how do you deal with jet lag? And I would always say, oh, you just, you know, you just deal with it. And, um, and now I actually, I think I'm getting soft with regards to sleep deprivation because if I don't get a good night's sleep now, I'm, I'm like, wow, I need to, you know, I feel so tired. I'm not, I, I need more sleep. <laughs> so I do think you get used to certain things and I got used to living without sleep, I guess, for many, many years. You know, we've had, um, some of the, especially in, in America here, the, you know, the athletes are starting to head back to the, to, to the courts and the ball fields and stuff like that. And it's slowly transitioning you know, soccer, basketball, uh, baseball kicking off this week. And, yeah, we, you know, the same same kind of mentality guys have been talking about that they've they've saved stationary. They're used to traveling, being on planes every night, hopping to a new city, playing a new city, and now they've sat stationary for probably for many of them the longest that they've been in pretty yeah. much their entire adult lives as well. And just the mental, you know, they're lacking the yes. mental stamina, they're lacking the physical stamina. So yeah. I think you could very much relate to them, <laughs> or they could very much relate to you. Yeah, you you bring up a really a really good point. You know that you you get good at what you practice and routine is so important particularly to, to professional athletes getting in that routine and when you suddenly take people out of that and and then you take away all that camaraderie and the training together and the rigid uh routines it, it is i think very difficult to kind of find a way back in and um i've you know, like so many of your listeners, I'm sure just been missing sport like crazy. But I uh, I did zero in on a really cool find, which is ESPN has been running the New Zealand Rugby Championships uh, every weekend. And for those people who don't know rugby, that's the sport that I, you know, in New Zealand, it's like a religion. And um, if, if you ever wanted to sample rugby or get a sense of what it's like, uh, you can find it. I don't work for ESPN, so I'm not promoting ESPN. I'm just saying <laughs> the, rugby, the rugby is there. The New Zealand championships. I'm, my team is uh, the, the, the the Crusaders, which is from Canterbury uh, in the South Island of New Zealand. Um, but the competition has been amazing. And it's so refreshing to see a country where there is no COVID and where there's stadiums filled with 40,000, 50,000 people watching a sport again and um it just it just makes you pine for what was before and hopefully what will be soon when we when we get past this but uh they've done a phenomenal job at they locked they locked everything down and and now they've reopened and obviously they've got sport and it's just so nice to see sport the way we all love it yeah i have a couple of buddies in new zealand and yeah they've certainly been the the poster child for how to handle this situation. Uh, it seems like they did really as a country, everything correct. And and now they're kind of reaping the rewards of, you know, making decisions quickly and, and uh, it's paying off for them in the long run. So I know they're, you know, my buddies over there are certainly happy to, to see stadiums full again. 
Um, Phil, you, you, you've, you've had quite the life uh, so far. Well, hold um, on a second. Is it over or what's it? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Oh, not. <laughs> the way you said that, it, was not, it sounded very ominous. Like, okay, I'm That's very good. sorry. No more. That. Over. Like, uh, Rewind what? that one. Yeah. <laughs> We're jealous of, of the, the life that you've led. It's um, you've, you've kind of done a little bit of everything and, um, where I was transitioning to that was, uh, yeah. you say you've, you've written a book, you produced uh, a show called no opportunities wasted. Um, and now it's transformed into bucket. What was the philosophy behind bucket and, and kind of what prompted you to start that whole journey? Well, uh, I got into television very young, uh, 18 straight out of high school against the better judgment of my parents and and grandparents. Um, my grandparents never got a chance to go to college. Uh, I come from very working class people. My parents did get an education, a college education, and I kind of went against the grain, you know, it was expected that I would just go straight into college and study. But there was no broadcasting degree when I was at school, at high school. And I just really wanted to work in television. And I, I managed to get this great job. There was only two um, positions available at a TV station to take on an apprenticeship, which was a television apprenticeship program. And uh, very quickly, I ended up in the camera department and then I ended up in front of a camera, only 19 years old. And uh, I was doing a story where I was scuba diving. I've been diving all my life because of living in the Caribbean. I grew up in the water. Uh, so I was very, you know, very at ease in the water, but I went into a wreck and I I got separated from my dive buddy about 120 feet down inside a massive wreck and, uh, uh, you know, didn't think I was going to get out of there. I got disorientated. My, I didn't know where I was and there was quite a strong current going through the ship and it was on its starboard side and I was sucking through the air too fast. And, um, thankfully my buddy did come back and saw me and saw that I was panicked and I was, in a bit of shock and I got out of there and pretty close, you know, to like, if I'd moved any more from where I was in this massive ship, he would never have found me and I would have never been found. And so it was kind of a wake up call for me to write a list of all the things I wanted to do before I died. And I've been using that list as a, as a catalyst ever since uh, that's what prompted the, the uh, a number of television shows I did where I went and did things from my list. Uh, the original list was pretty selfish. I wrote it, you know, I was very young. I was 19. And then over the years it's matured. And, and then I wanted to help others write their lists. And that's what led to, to no opportunity wasted. And then the book, and then um, it sort of evolved into this idea of bucket with an IT, which rhymes with another word that starts with an F and I, uh, kind of like, you know, let's just do it. And um, ticket before you kick it is kind of the byline. And so, uh, yeah, that's where it's at. And I, uh, you're right, I have done a lot of, I've been very lucky to do a lot of different things. And I think as you get older, you, you get a real kick out of watching other people do the, do things that they've always wanted to do as well. Yeah, you've, you've certainly, I mean, that's, I think, first off, an incredible story. Um you know, realizing that life is short and to make the most out of it um, and, and to really live life to the fullest. So 
Um, it's an incredible story of how this all started. Um, what would you say is, I mean, you certainly have lived that to the fullest ever since then. What would you say has been some of your top things from, you know, your own personal bucket with an IT list uh, that you've, you've done over the years? Well, one was, uh, I mean, some of the more philanthropic things was um, my wife and I decided we wanted to raise a million dollars for our favorite charity um, in our lifetime. And we managed to do that in about three and a half years. Um, I, I got on my bike here in Los Angeles and I rode to New York a um, hundred miles a day for 40 days, went through Chicago and along the way raised money for MS. And uh, we made a movie about that. And then we gave all the profits from the movie away and it was in theaters across the country and then ended up on Showtime. Um, and then we, we took donations along the way and worked with MS societies and uh, along the way and, we achieved our goal. Uh, we had another goal to start a professional women's cycling team, which we did and ran for three years, uh, became the number one team. We ended up with a national champion and on the road and, and, uh, and time trial and, and, uh, circuit. Um, we, so we, that was a project and I always wanted to buy my parents a car. <laughs> um, that was like a lifelong goal of mine that, to surprise them with a new car. Uh, so I managed to tick that off. Um, I retraced the 1928 Tour de France uh, back in 2013. They rode, back in 1928, they rode 150 miles a day on single speed bicycles that weighed twice as much as bikes do today. Uh, so a buddy and I, we did that on the original bicycles and rode the original course. And that was one of the more, you know, physically challenging things I've ever done, but yeah, lots of small things like breaking an unofficial world record, bungee jumping and uh, scuba diving the world's longest underwater caves. And um, this show that we're doing now called tough as nails is being something that's on the, being on the list. It's taken over 10 years to, to, to finally sell and to finally get an opportunity to make, um, I, I'm nothing if not determined and uh, <laughs> I, I and maybe stubborn with it. But um, I do like to be told I can't do something. I've always been driven by that. And uh, I was definitely told I couldn't do this show tough as nails many, many times um, over the last 10 years. And then finally got a shot at it and very proud of it. Uh, and, you know, nothing is obviously made by yourself. You have to have people around you who believe in your vision and your idea. And uh, so that's sort of the, the thing to get this thing on the air. We went to air on July the 8th. Uh, and, and thankfully the show did really well. Uh, that was definitely something that was on the list to tick off. That's amazing. That's so with all the stuff that you've done so far, I mean, I'm sure the list continues on way past. Yeah. Is there something that is big on your bucket list next after the show gets done? Well, I've definitely got on my list right now to get to a season two. Um, so that's definitely there. I've got a film on my list. I've, I've got some things that I want to do for my parents who are now 78. Uh, and so I, I count every moment with them as very precious. They're in New Zealand right now. And, it, you know, it's, it's very hard to know that I can't just get on a plane and go home and be with them. So I've got adventures that I 
I really want to, uh, that I really want to achieve with them while I have time. And look, there's no guarantee in life that I'm going to outlive them by the way. But, um, I think as you get older and certainly as we go through the time that we're going through right now, you start to reprioritize the things that are really important, what really matters. Um, if anything, there's been a reassessment for a lot of people that, that, you know, if there's one positive thing to come out of all of this. So, um, yeah, a lot of heartfelt things and, um, things that you realize, you know, life is short and you start as you get older. I don't know how old you guys are. Um, but as you get older, you start to calculate how long you've been on the planet. And, uh, then you start to go, okay, what was I doing 20 years ago? And then you think, cause I've, I've just recently turned 53. So I'm thinking, okay, 20 years ago, I was 33. That feels like yesterday. But if I add 20 years to what I am now, that's 73. Oh my God, 73. That's actually, you know, getting on. And so then you think, geez, if, if the next 20 years are as fast as the last 20 years were, I got some things I really want to do. So you just, I guess you just start to think more about every day and what you're going to do with your time. And, you know, hopefully you guys think it's a good idea that I'm spending some time with you on this. You know, like I, 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 I got your request and I thought, you know, I want to, I want to do this. You start to think about choices you make and what you, what you're going to do with your time. Cause time is the most valuable thing we have. It's extremely precious. And, uh, and then what, what are you going to do with that time that maybe can make a difference? Right. The one commodity that you can't get any more of. Yeah. 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 The three of us are, uh, we're all in our mid thirties now. Um, so our, our wow. backstory is, uh, we've all known each other for well, 30 something years at this point. And, um, but yeah, I think ever since, uh, you know, me personally, uh, started a family yes. and, and have an amazing little girl, it feels like time has sped up, you know, a hundred times. And I, even though I'm in my mid thirties, I, I'm, I often find myself thinking exactly how you just described of, okay, where was I 15 years ago? And yes. I had, you know, um, you mentioned you have a little just, girl. I had a little girl yeah. and that little girl is 24. And, uh, I, I have these flashes where, my, you know, my little girl was on my shoulders. I'm walking her up the hill to school. I walk along the same road now. And in an instant, I can feel like it, it's 20 something years ago. Me, I'm walking her up the hill and, and it's a flash between that moment and, and the moment that I'm in walking back up the hill again. And, and, you know, people say to you when you're younger, Oh, you know, it's, it's go like, you know, life goes really fast, you know, make sure you savor it. It goes really fast. And there's this thing in the, in your mind, particularly like when you, a lot of people in their thirties where, where it wasn't that long ago that you were young. Right. But now you're 30 and you're thinking, geez, I'm old, but you really are young. Like you 30 is really young. And, and, <laughs> and, but in a second, like you said, all of a sudden you're 50. Right. And you think, well, what the hell happened? Like, where did, where Damn. did that go? And I think the important thing is yep, to see exactly. that as a positive so that when you get to 50, you don't feel regret or feel any, you know, feel like, Oh my God, I'm 50. I'm old, but more like, Oh my God, I'm 50. 
I've really made the most of my life. I'm going to make the most of every moment going forward. And you savor. And the younger you can get into the mindset of savoring what's important. When your girl says to you, your young girl says to you, dad, will you read me a story that you make a pact with yourself that you will always say yes. And when she says, dad, will you play with me outside that you drop whatever you're doing and do it? Because I'm telling you those moments you at the time you think, Oh no, I'm going to have those moments. I'll, I'll have plenty of those moments. I'll have plenty of time for that when she's seven, when she's nine, when she's, you know, and when they get to 12, then they don't want to do it. But, but it goes so fast. It, it, you know, I'm just, all I'm saying to you guys is at some point it would be a good exercise for you both. And the fact that you guys go back 30 years with each other is really cool is to sit down with a piece of paper and write down everything that you really love. Obviously you guys love each other. You love your families. You love sports everything that you love and then go, how do I get more of what I love in my life? How do I, I, how do I get the things that I don't love out of my life? How do I get rid of poisonous people out of my life? How do I not waste my time with things that don't bring joy to my life? And, and the, the more practiced you are now in your thirties at prioritizing who you spend your time with, what you spend your time doing, you become, better at it as you get older and that comes down to practicing and i taught this to my daughter very early on practicing being an optimist optimists are made pessimists are made you practice being a pessimist you will become a very good pessimist and i've met some really good ones um they're so good they're so practiced they put ten thousand hours into being a pessimist and Sometimes I just laugh. I smile when they come up with their excuses or they come up with their, you know, pessimistic outlook. Cause it's like, wow, you are really, you look like really good at this. You know, you're really a great <laughs> pessimist <laughs> and you have to admire them. You're like, wow, you've really, you put some time into this. This is great. <laughs> I've got some people I'm going to be referring this podcast to just based on that statement. Cause we can tell people that as much as we want, but sometimes just having it come from another source is a nice well, you, you uh, catch yourself, you know, you, you can catch yourself and, and like with your, you know, one of the exercises I had with my daughter was we all took the word can't out of the vernacular in the house. Like the word can't was not allowed in our house. And so I, we wouldn't allow our daughter to say that she can't do her homework. She'd say, she'd have to say, Hey dad, I find this, this math really challenging, but we would, get her to use a different choice of words because just like in sports where you get yourself psyched up before you go play the game, where you visualize, where you, where you, where you see yourself winning, where you see yourself making a play where you, you know, the night before a game, you're going through the moves you're going to make um, and you visualize. I'm a big proponent in the idea that you, you, you what you say manifests itself, what you write down manifests itself. Um, and so it's that's why it's nice to have in your orbit. And obviously you guys like being around each other. You want to be around people that feed you energy and don't suck the energy out of you and who lift you up instead of pull you down and who, who embrace ideas you have rather than try to talk you out of them because of their own, 
issues. But, you know, it's very important that, you know, just to recognize it and to and to get that out of your orbit. You don't none of us need that. It's life is hard enough without having the extra, you know, uh, you know, the extra problems in life <laughs> that people can bring. Yep. Yes, All sir. about feeding into the people that feed into you. Yeah. Um, and then you give them energy, absolutely. too. You know, well said. that's right. Um, if you don't mind, I want to take you back a little bit into your history. I know we kind of talked about that. And by the way, I love where we've gone with the conversation. I think there's a lot of growth to be had just from listening to your experience because you've got, as John said, a lot of experience that we haven't had yet. And uh, uh, but anyway, let me go back to this. So honestly, before you got onto the amazing race where a lot of us met you uh, over the TV, especially in the great state of Ohio, <laughs> um, you were really well known for hosting the spot on and that's fairly interesting in New Zealand. Um, so even though there was just a little time in between, was it a pretty easy transition coming to the amazing race? Uh, since you had a background with your now philosophy and bucket uh, as a show, did it have a relatable feel? Mm, you know, everything is, everything I've done is fed into something else. And I've, I've always been motivated by passion rather than the paycheck. Um, I've done a lot of things for a paycheck to get by. I've done construction work. I've looked after pieces of people's houses and watered plants and, and fed animals and, you know, to do whatever it is that I'm passionate about, put my own money into projects when people say you never should. I've been driven by things I'm passionate about. I've never felt like there's any job that I've done in television that was for a paycheck. Everything I've done, I really have loved. And I've always tried to live by the idea that would I be, would I pay to do what I'm doing? Like, would I pay somebody to do the things that I'm getting paid to do? And if the answer is yes, then, then I know I'm doing what I should be doing or want to be doing with my time. So Starting off at 19, I, I hosted a show which was called Spot On. I did that for a year. It was 36 half-hour shows in a magazine-style format that was shot in a studio and also out in the field. Um, I did a daily live show. I did over 200 live shows for a daily live show where I interviewed everybody from UB40, which is a reggae band, to... Um, <laughs> Red uh, Wine. Yeah, exactly. Red, Red Wine. Exactly. I'm impressed. You guys know that in your 30s. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was a show. Anybody who was famous who came to New Zealand, they would come on this daily live show. I did a sports show, which was called Short Sports, which was profiling up-and-coming young sports people and had everybody, uh, you know, from the future All Blacks captain in New Zealand, the All Blacks is the New Zealand rugby team, to David Tua, who was a big uh, boxer, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Lennox Lewis some years ago, um, got unfortunately beaten badly, but... Um, he was a, if you look him up, David Tua, Tua the Terminator, they called him. I profiled him when he was 16. So I did a sports show. I did a daily live a game show. And then I packed it all up and I went to New York City. And I was only 24. I would already had, you know, like a lot of experience under my belt uh, in front of a camera. But when I came to America in the early 90s, nobody here had heard of any of the shows that I'd done they didn't employ foreigners or people with an, with an accent. I didn't have a visa. I couldn't get a job until I had a visa. I couldn't get a visa until I had a job. I 
I basically dropped out of getting paid really good money because of, of being on camera there and to sort of doing any whatever I could to survive to try to work to get a visa. It took me over about a year and a quarter of looking after people's places and doing odd construction jobs and going, you know, doing whatever I could to survive. Um, and then I finally got the visa and I, then I managed to score a commercial that helped to pay for some money. I, I directed some and shot some pieces for MTV sports when it was on back, back in the early nineties. And, um, and then I, then I got lucky and I got on a, a daily morning show when I was about 25 going on 26. And I did that for about three and a half years. And I did over 800 stories in all 50 states of America, uh, anything from milking spiders to changing a light bulb on the Verrazano Bridge to diving live with sharks in the Bahamas, all live. Everything was live. Did a piece on Reggie Crash Miller down. Uh, he's a test pilot who flew F-15s. Yeah. I did every story you could ever imagine like on, on this morning show. And, um, and I came out of that, and then I sold with some uh, business partners sold the show to Discovery Channel called Adventure Crazy. And that was based on my life list of things I wanted to do before I died. And uh, that's where I did the unofficial bungee jumping record. And, um, and then uh, out of that, I, I, I auditioned for a bunch of shows and got very close, but never got the jobs. I got down to Jeff. It was Jeff and I for the job of Survivor, but there was an issue with, well, one of the concerns was the fact that I had an accent and then I got shortlisted for Amazing Race, and there was a concern that I had an accent, and then I was asked to Americanize my accent, and then I ended up getting the job, <laughs> and sort of, that's sort of how 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 that sort of journey went through. And there's a lot of jobs in between all of that, but yeah. But by the time I got to race, I'd already had 15 years television experience um, and uh, 12 years in front of a camera at that point. Well, speaking of which, just as a side note, as, as kind of a nerdy person, did I see you were uh, part of a Star Trek episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a. Uh, I did some stories for CBS News back in the in the early two thousands, and uh, there was there's this group of people that get together and they do they were doing Star Trek episodes, and uh, yeah, they got me to play play a commander, I think, on some other planet. So <laughs> that's cool. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm not much much of a uh, like I, I I'm I don't know a huge amount about Star Trek um, other than you know I know people who are into it are, so I, I certainly don't quiz me too much about what exactly was going on but oh I, no that's just that's just a neat thing because very few people get that opportunity and if you grew up with you know anybody around you that watched it uh, yes. that's just kind of neat to be part of it in any way shape or form any way shape or form yeah no absolutely and um. I, I mean, I think that's the the greatest thing about about all the jobs that I've done. In, you know, it's thirty five years now that I've been in television. So I've been in, you know, basically when you guys were born, I was starting, and um, <laughs> or even even before you guys were born, and and so it's a lot of years, you know. And I honestly can't, I just can't believe how fast it's gone. And I remember looking at guys my age. Uh, then and 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 I remember being and I remember thinking, God, fifty, you know, this guy's fifty. Jesus, guy's ancient. He's so old. And honestly, <laughs> it, honestly, I feel like I'm 
I feel like I'm still the same 18 year old kid that worked in walked into Television New Zealand at 202 Gloucester Street, you know, in Christchurch in 19 beginning of 1986, and it honestly feels like yesterday. And I I don't know what the hell happened. Like somebody put me, speaking of Star Trek, they put me in one of those time warp machines or something. <laughs> <laughs> And well, with all the opportunities you've had to be in front of the camera and around the camera, produce shows. One thing that comes to mind with amazing race is longevity. With yeah. 31 seasons already done in the television books. You've gone to 89 countries on the show through those 31 seasons out of all that you've gotten to experience. What would you say are the top three countries or maybe even specific cities that you visited while on the show and why are they your favorites? Um, well, I mean, my number one city is always the city I've never or country as the city or country I've never been to because it's so exciting to go somewhere new and different. I think I've been to 130 countries in my life and um, there's still a lot of places I haven't been to. Um, but on Amazing Race, we've been back to India, I think somewhere like 20 times, China, at least 20 times. Um Gosh, I mean, Varanasi in India was a, was mind blowing. It's right on the Ganges River, um, but one of my favorite places that I ever visited was not is not a place that we've been to on Amazing Race. It was actually one that I went to on Adventure Crazy. It was it's a little island called Lipari, which is in the Aeolian Islands near the island of. Stromboli near near Volcano. Uh, it's a chain of of islands, volcanic islands, just north of Sicily. And um, I think that's one of my favorite places to ever go. You take the ferry out there. Um, you watch your your dinner come into the market. Uh, you see the fish go from the water straight onto your straight into the kitchen to get cooked. Um, I love the people. I love the lifestyle. I love the cafes. I love biking around the, I mean, that was one of my favorite places to visit. Um, and, and I, I'm a big fan obviously of New Zealand because my family is there. My, you know, all my, all my family is there and, uh, we've been back there four times on amazing race and, uh, Every time it's, you know, to me, it's always really exciting. Well, whether it's on Amazing Race or just personal travel, what is one country, I guess the top country on your list that you need to make it to next? Well, for me, uh, Antarctica is definitely on the list. Just I've never got there. Um, always wanted to get there. And then Bhutan um, is a country that I have not been to. Uh, the Kingdom of Happiness Um there's an archery festival that they have there that I've always really wanted to see. Uh, it's, it's a spectacular part of the world and mountainous and lush, lots of tradition and culture. You have to apply to get a special visa to go there. Um, so that's definitely on my list. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would love to get to some, like 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 Bakal in in um, in Russia, the deepest lake in the world. I'd love to get up into that area. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to go to so many places. I mean, it's, I feel incredibly lucky and I, I don't know where we're going to be with, you know, after the end of all of this, I, um, I wonder, you know, I just wonder if the whole world is going to change in terms of the way we travel. When I was a kid and got on my first plane at three back in the early seventies, it was like a big deal to go on a plane. You, you dressed up and I still feel that the magic of travel and, you know, there was a time before this where travel was down to like people, shorts, t-shirts, jump on a plane. I think there was a lack of uh, appreciation. I hope travel doesn't become like a rich person's uh, uh, opportunity because travel is such such a powerful thing. But I do hope that people maybe see it less as a as a as a bus trip and more of a a magic trip, like more, more Star Trek, more like transporting to another world kind of appreciation. Wow. Is there, just as a quick side note is with all the information you've got and all the different cultures that you've learned about, is there something where you just kind of sit down and kind of rifle through the internet and try to find out about places that you've never heard of? Or is this something where you're picking up more from the locals or other friends that have traveled and try to do research from there to decide if that's the next place that you want to see? Well, for me, it's about people and stories. So, you know, I've often said to people, if you look at mountains of Banff or you look at mountains down in Argentina and then you take uh, the mountains of the South Island of New Zealand, the, the the, the Southern Alps. If I showed you photographs of all three mountain ranges uh, or even the Alps in Europe, you know, the French Alps or Swiss Alps, I could show you these images and you would be, and even a, an expert travel person and even myself, like I could be fooled to think that any one of those images is any one of the places that you're quizzed about. Meaning, it's not so much about where you are, it's who you're there with and what are you doing. I've been in the most extraordinary places on, on the planet and not fully been able to enjoy it because I haven't been able to share it with someone or the situation is not uh, an enjoyable one because of you know, just the circumstances. When you, you could be, if, if you really like people, and, you, and you're having a great time with people or you're having a good experience, like you're having a great meal, you could be in a, you could be in a white padded room with a really engaging group of people at dinner and have the time of your life. And conversely, you could be at the most extraordinary location on earth alone and have a miserable time. You know, it, to me, it's all about the context. And so... That's what I always try to get across to people that places are about people more than mm -hmm. they are about postcard pictures like that. And it's so true for sure. Um, I guess in, in going back to some of the podcast episodes that John, Dave and I have done, we kind of talked about how professional athletes are starting to require a, a huge deal of mental fortitude and physical yeah. ability, stamina, uh, we even talked about it earlier in the show just to kind of be successful in their craft. Yeah. So 
in a similar manner when we're talking about teams on the amazing race from your uh, perspective, are we seeing that successful uh, teams are also needed to require these traits when shooting 12 episodes in what about three weeks while traveling internationally, not getting a lot of sleep, different food, language barriers, challenges. Uh, is that something that you're seeing a lot? And uh, is, is it something that you think that causes this to be very difficult once they get to the final three and finishing out? Well, I think one of the big differences between the people that we have on Amazing Race and, say, a professional athlete is that we're purposely picking people who are not necessarily good at going from point A to point B, but more interesting. <laughs> so we're we're looking for less of the Usain Bolts than we are. <laughs> then we're looking for Dave and Mary coal miner and his wife who, who from Kentucky, from Kentucky. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Um, yes, exactly. And we're looking for them to, to show us what it's like to be a fish out of water and to be interesting at going from one place to the other. So our show is really cast and geared towards showing so-called ordinary people experiencing the world than an extraordinary elite athlete who is measuring out their food on a strict regime, you know, going to a sports psychologist or, you know, it's, it's much more about the every person rather than the elite of the elite. That's really cool. Mm Well, before we move on to your newest show, one of your passions, Bucket, uh, excuse me, Tough as Nails, that you are currently checking off your bucket list, we're going to take a brief break and be back with everybody in just a moment. How many times while you have been manscaping have you nicked or nearly trimmed off your wiener schnitzel in the twins? Hey, I'm Christy, and with 30 years' experience teaching men how to thin out their forest in their yonder region, I am so excited to tell you about this revolutionary Lawn Mower 3.0. The ceramic blades prevent the manscaping accidents that leave you unable to use your most favorite appendage. Oh, and gentlemen, it also keeps a 90-minute charge. For those of you that haven't trimmed in quite a while, you'll need every second of that 90 minutes. Let's be real, though. No one, especially your significant other, wants to have to weed through your overgrown forest to find their favorite play toy. So order now at manscaped.com and enter the promo code PODCAST20 and receive 20% off plus free shipping. Serious, Bushy Man. Order now. All right. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 46 of the Sports Talk Garage Podcast. We are on with Phil Kogan. Uh, You know him from Tough as Nails, Amazing Race, and plenty of other times either behind the camera or in front of the camera especially with his cycling movies the ride and way ride which i would totally recommend to go check out if you are big into cycling but let's go ahead and move on to your current passion your current project tough as nails um and get a little bit more about that john yeah so we talked about this earlier and obviously this is your new show it kind of celebrates the everyday man and woman that really make up uh, this great country. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of, it sounds like it's basically any job is tough, dirty, long hours, but vital to keeping this country going. Um, we've seen some from construction, farming, welding, emergency response crews, and more. 
Um, it's been a really nice, refreshing uh, highlight of more of the, you know, off the blue collar type industries that are, like we said earlier, just so uh, vital uh, to keeping this country going. Um, what is the big hope or the long-term hope for this show? Um, and who would you like to inspire by it? Well, you know, my, my family is working class going way back. Um, my family come from Ireland and England and Europe. They moved to New Zealand, uh, back in the mid 19th century, came out on some of the first ships, coal miners, gold miners, farmers, fence builders. Um, and I've always had a real pride in my working class family. And my grandfather is somebody that I spent a lot of time with as a kid. Um, he, he was the brightest kid at his, at his uh, middle school, got a scholarship to go to high school, but was not given the opportunity. My grandmother was the top student at her second year and second year high school, but she was pulled out of high school to look after her brothers and sisters. That generation didn't get a chance to get a further education. My parents did. And then my grandparents lived vicariously through my parents, obviously, because they, they wanted them to do well. And that generation, the, those who came through the depression and who sacrificed in world war two, like my grandfather was in world war two, fought in world war two. Um, that generations, they, they made sacrifices for their kids and the way to, um, the, the way to better their lives was through an education at, at a tertiary, you know, tertiary education, go get a degree and make a better life for yourself. And education is power. Education could change lives. But I think what happened inadvertently is that there was this sense that we then started to look down on people who were in the trades and somehow thought that they were less than. And it just always irked me because I had such proud pride in my my grandfather was a, my other grandfather was a carpenter and all my uncles who could fix anything and build anything and 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 it just it just made me annoyed that somehow there were people that looked down on those people and it made me start to assess well what is being educated and what is being a contributor to society and what does it mean to be a worthy contributor and absolutely we want someone to go to dental school before they get a drill out and you know we don't want someone with a makita <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got a nice drill bit here and I'll get rid of that for you. Um, you know, we want people who know what the hell they're doing when we have open heart surgery and all of those things. Yes, we need that. But there's three million vacant trade jobs in this country. And a lot of that is a part of that is we've somehow convinced kids and parents that that those jobs are somehow beneath them or not as worthy. And we need jobs and what is the definition of being educated? I think my grandfather was incredibly educated, never went past, you know, formal education past the age of 13, but he's one of the brightest, most well-read people that I ever met in my life. Um, I learned so much from him, work ethic and how to use tools and how to do a job properly and things. I have, I, to this day, I have his tools out of my garage here in Los Angeles and 
because of genetics and him modifying all the, the handles on his tools, customizing them all. They fit in my hand perfectly. And I love taking on a job and being able to pull out his tools to do things. And I remember how he taught me how to use a knife and how to use tools properly. And so <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say, okay, it's great that we, uh, we look up to our athletes and we revere these elite, the elite of the elite. And we love competition, but there's competition that happens within that happens on job sites as well. And many amazing athletes have come out of job sites. You look at the history of the New Zealand national team, the all black rugby team. And, and, you know, it was an amateur sport up until the, 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 uh, the early nineties. And a lot of these best, a lot of the best players didn't have time to really train. They, they, they were fit and strong from being country strong, from doing stuff on farms and from being carpenters and, and building fences. And they brought all of that to their sport. And I just thought my dad worked in a sawmill before he went to university and he would always talk about on the job side, how there were all these competitions. And I thought, what happens if you take the best of the best in their chosen trades and you put them in a competition and you measure toughness in a different way. You don't have to be necessarily six, five and 300 pounds like some people I know, but, um, <laughs> but you know, what is the, what is the measurement of tough Lynette key? Who's one of the contestants on our show. She was homeless. Uh, she lost custody of her kids. She sees a sign on the wall. It says that there's a welding course. She goes to the welding course. She's the only woman. She does the course. She ends up having a gift for welding. She, she gets herself back on her feet, gets, gets, becomes a really good welder, buys a home and gets custody back of her kids. Within a year, she's a master welder. She gets up at four every day. She drives an hour and a half to work. She works all day. She goes to a second job. She stops off at the grocery store, picks up food, goes home, cooks the food, freezes it for her kids the next night, gets up again at four o'clock early the next morning and does it again and again and again. That to me is tough. And so I just wanted to say, yeah, you play in the NFL and you get in a cage with somebody and are prepared to go toe to toe with someone, you're tough. But what about the other facets of tough? Mental toughness, life skills, toughness, tenacity, determination, grit, what about all of those facets? And that's why you end up on Tough as Nails with people like Lee Marshall, who's six foot two, 62 years old, lifts thousands of pounds of roofing shingles every single day on top of a roof and says he'll outwork any 25 year old. Mm -hmm. That's country strong. That's, that's mentally tough. And I just thought, let's have a show where we celebrate that. And it's not about having to be the elite of the elite on a sports field as much as it's about the person who can go to work for 35 years as a roofer and never quit and never call in sick. That's also tough. I love that, how it's not just – you can teach somebody a skill. You can teach them to improve their hand-eye coordination, but you can't teach heart, tenacity. That's just built in. And I love that you're highlighting those characteristics of people who maybe don't get the chance to be in front of others every day and kind of showcase their skill set and their work and their career. So I appreciate the show because I've I enjoyed the first episode. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Yeah, and and, and uh, I also think that if, if there's enough out there right now that's dividing everybody, 
there's a lot of people who are calling out why you're different from me because you vote for this person and I vote for that person and I like this and you like that and this is right, right and that is wrong and there's so much divisiveness going on and you know I came I'm an immigrant I came to this country I came to America because it represents unity it it it, it represents the idea that anything is possible and 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 to me a show like this can say well what is it we have in common? What is it we all agree on? What is it that makes the people of this country so special and unique? What can I see in you? What qualities can I see in you as a fellow citizen that is good rather than what I, can I see in you that is wrong? What, what, is, what is right about the world instead of what's wrong? What do we have? What can we do as opposed to what don't we have and what can't we do? And this show is meant to be about a, a unity of people and, and a collaboration of people who are competing against each other. But there's this underlying respect. I respect you for what you do. Thank you for being a contributor to society, for turning up and putting in a hard day's work and taking pride in your work. Um, we care about our families. We care about doing the right thing by our families and putting a, you know food on the table. We care about each other and we respect each other like let's drill in on that for a change instead of the things that tear us apart and 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 divide us there's there's enough of that we got enough of that out there totally agree. no i really appreciate that you bring that out because i think that's something that as we as you kind of mentioned earlier in the show having a positive focus really trying to invest into others because as you said they're going to reinvest back into you right. uh, i think that's a journey that that the three of us have been taking over the last couple years as we've started putting this podcast together and spending more time uh, through distance over this and, and growing our families together, et cetera. So I really appreciate that, that you're bringing us to light as not just a couple close guys or family, but as a country, how to look at that and try to have that uh, everybody's in this together dream. Yes. And it's not about, the things that we're concerned with right now that are going on in the world, but just as a people, as a nation, as a world. Um, so I guess that just real quick, cause, well, just, uh, uh, just on that point, you know, my mother, when growing up, my mother, if she ever heard me criticize somebody and I would say something about somebody at school, you know, this guy, he did this, or I'd be complaining about someone. My mom would always stop me and say, Think about what's right about the person. Like, what are the qualities about them that you like? Focus on the things that, that are good in them. Everybody has good in them. It's, it's there deep inside, even, even the people that have wronged us. And it, again, if you practice that, you will find it. Now, it can be extremely challenging at times <laughs> because there are people that just, you know, again, to my point before, you you want to steer clear of because they just don't make you feel good or they eat up too much of your energy. But if you practice that, you you, you can't actually find good there if you if you're if you're prepared to put in the work. Some people are not it, it's it's better to just walk away and just leave it. But I, I'm I'm just trying I'm hoping that out of this, the audience will see Roofer Lee, Drywall Danny, Welder Linnet, you know, Melissa the Farmer, the bag, uh, 
baggage handler from Cincinnati, Ohio, Michelle, who's 62 years old, who you would look at and think, what the hell's tough about her? And you, and, and you will see these people out in, in the world and, and you'll have a new appreciation. Wow, if you didn't go out in the storm to connect those wires, mm-hmm. that family down the road wouldn't be able to turn their power on in the middle of a cold winter and be warm. But you, you went out in the, in the middle of a storm when we're all hiding and you, put, you connected the wires back together. Oh, those potatoes that we, that we have on our table, someone was out there growing them for you know, getting the fields ready and planting them and picking them and cleaning them and bagging them and transporting them and getting them so that we could have food on our table and we, we can flush our toilets because people make sure that utilities are working. If we, if we start to realize the importance of that and, and then, then maybe we won't drive past the person out in a field picking fruit uh, w- w- without maybe thinking about, well, geez, that's got to be hard, on, you know, like day in, day out, backbreaking work out there picking strawberries. So you and I can have a party on Saturday night and invite some people over and put some whipped cream on these strawberries that miraculously come out of a packet. You know, it's just a, again, I think it's just a, the idea that we appreciate each other. Somebody's got to clean the sewers. Somebody's got to, you know, take those porta potties and, and empty them and do the stuff that, you know, that has to be done. They're essential. It has to be done. And they're prepared to do it. They roll up their sleeves and they do it. And they do it with pride. And it's about us saying thank you, I guess, and just like acknowledging that they're important and that they're of value. Yeah, the show really is, to me, a really a true testament to, to walking a mile in another person's shoe. And you know, especially right now as a world, even as we're in this, you know, so many people are in this work from home culture. You know, it's those that can't work from home that have to go in, that have to brave the weather, have to brave the elements um, that are still keeping the lights on and, and keeping yeah. the water running, as you described. So, I mean, yeah. this this I'm I'm loving this show already. I can't wait to, to see uh, more of it. And I hope it uh, is a longstanding thing uh, that you have going for you. Well, I really appreciate that. And, uh, and I, you know, to. To your listeners, I hope they tune in and I hope they fall in love with these characters. I hope it's difficult for them to pick a favorite. Um, what makes the show different from all shows that are out there right now is that nobody goes home. So there's two competitions that are running side by side. There's, a, there's an individual competition to find out who's the toughest of all in America. And then there's a team competition. So anybody who gets cut from the, the individual competition they don't go home. They're not eliminated. They they stay and they compete in a in a team competition and they win money there. So of everybody that we have, we have 12 contestants. Everybody walked home with money in their pocket, regardless of whether they won the big overall individual prize or whether they they um, they they were part of the winning team. A win, you know, because the teams went back and forth with different wins. That's yeah, a wonderful format to still have everybody out there representing the entire show. Yeah. Um, so for all of our listeners, make sure you do check out tough as nails on CBS. Um, and hopefully Phil, it goes well season two, it will be just around the corner. I would love to see that as well. Cause I've enjoyed it so far and we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on and chat with us this evening. It has been inspirational and it's been a lot of fun talking to you. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, thank you. And I wish you guys all the best of luck. I hope you get good uh, 50 more years together at least. Um, <laughs> and that uh, you, you look after each other. You'll have your ups and downs and tribulations and you'll be there for each other. Um, and Tough as Nails, just so you know, is on CBS on Wednesday nights, uh, 8, 7 Central. Um, it was being replayed uh, on Sunday. They did a like a special re replay, mm -hmm. but it's Sunday, 8, 7 Central on, on CBS. And um, yeah, and I, I welcome feedback. Um, constructive feedback is always good because, you know, it's one thing to criticize, but it's it's always good to get constructive criticism because that takes some creativity. Um, and, uh, you, you know, uh, I, I'm hoping that, like you said, that the show will carry on for a while and we can, we're casting right now for a season two. So if there's anybody listening who thinks they're tough as nails, a badass at work, or they know somebody who is, <laughs> uh, then they should go to cbs.com slash casting and apply. Give it a go. You tell us your story and tell us what makes you tough as nails. Do it, guys. Go apply. I'm going to have to go pass that around the Midwest friends up here because I have a feeling I could probably find you a few. Oh, I bet you there's a ton of people listening who are like, oh, man, yeah. And, and you know, it's it's fun. It's it's, it's a fun thing. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate your time, guys. Thank hey, you. Thank you. Thank you for yours. All right. We'll talk again soon, right. I'm sure. Look forward to you it. Feel. All right. You got it. Be safe. All right. Well, again, we just want to thank Phil Kogan for taking the time to come join us on the Sports Talk Garage podcast. It was a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, for, again, all you out there, go check out Tough as Nails. Really cool show. And then Amazing Race should be back at some time this fall for season 32, which will be really fun to see. So you get Phil now and you get Phil in the fall. Guys, this was a really fun episode. Um, I'm inspired to go do some things I haven't done before. Maybe put it on my bucket list. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty juiced up right now, man. I, I got to tell you, I don't know if, if Phil's making, uh, if he's got a side gig as inspirational speakers, but uh, sure. he certainly, he's got me amped up for sure. It was an absolute pleasure talking to him. It really, you know, the the way he describes life, it, it really makes you, you know, pause and think about, okay, what's what's really important in life and, and how can I make the most of those important things? Um, because as he described, life is incredibly short. Um, so make the most of it, but yeah, it was truly a pleasure having him on. Yeah. Time is one I of think, those assets you cannot get back. So make the most of it. I think you guys, you know, I think it comes down to two words when, when I was listening to him and you guys already said inspiration and the other one I came back to is insight, you know, taking a look at his years of time spent with his family, having his own family, uh, doing all the traveling he did, uh, various places when it came to television and uh, growing pattern. And he still comes back to this positive stance where he really wants to help his fellow man. I mean, just think about that. Could you imagine being able to raise that much money that fast for a charity that, you know, you're, you're very passionate about? I can't even fathom what that would look like right now because i've never been there but just listening to him talk again the insight that he gives us and and positive reinforcement and all of those things that that was amazing definitely was well guys it's been fun uh we'll see you back in the studio next week so we're going to go ahead and wrap up um episode 46 of season two night guys take Have care a good week
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoy the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage. Sports Talk Garage.